And we are live. Oh shit, we are live. Holy crap, Dangerous Rhetoric live stream number four. We are here today with Joshua Slocum of the Disaffected Podcast and the legendary gay toad, aka Ricky Lindman, based as fuck. Welcome, guys. <laughs> yes, Hello. thank you for having us. Hello. Thanks for joining us. This was a really like last minute thing we kind of threw together yesterday. And Brent and I were just talking a lot about the subject. I'm hearing an echo, Brent. Um, like, I don't know whose side it's coming I hear from. A car oh, give me, give me that Britney, Brent. That Britney. <laughs> <laughs> but Brent and I have been talking about the subject of grooming a lot lately. Um, we've been watching other streams. We've been listening to uh, Twitter spaces with the Gays Against Groomers group, and we might be joined by some of them today as well. And we wanted to get more gay voices in here to really talk more about this stuff, um, to continue the pushback, because we think it's important for more of us to speak out and to really let ourselves be known and to show like, hey, this does not represent all of us, this crazy woke shit that we're seeing, the gender ideology stuff and all of that. Josh has been a really big voice pushing back in this, especially with his podcast. So I don't know, maybe we'll, I'll toss the ball in his court and, you know, we can kind of rant a little bit about what we're seeing, but you know, what do you think about gays against groomers as a group? I know you don't really do groups. Um, I'm kind of the same way, <laughs> I'm like very much a lone wolf, but I like what I'm seeing with them. And I like that it is bringing these voices together. But I, more hands on deck it's yeah. all to the good uh because we've been in an emergency for years now um gay people children who are very likely to grow up to be gay uh women children generally uh you know this is this this i this this trans thing which i talk about on my show so much as well is to me the preeminent example I don't see it as a cause. I see, I, I see it as a symptom. I see it as a symptom of a deeper illness. And I think that deeper illness is a cultural rot. We value narcissism, hedonism, exploitation of other people, self-gratification uh, to such an extraordinary degree that, um, that this, this, ideology that's exploded within the past seven years that is now telling us that that there are children who are born in the wrong body uh they really are the mistakes that that um that up until five six seven years ago we we were told you know well god or nature doesn't make mistakes you were born yeah. the way you are except this one except, except this, one. this one yep these these children have i mean what is the proposition in plain language, here's the proposition of so-called trans children. These children are born with a whole body defect, birth defect. Worse than not having a limb, they were born in the wrong body. This yeah. is lunatic. And I mean lunatic literally, not in a funny way. I mean, this is loony bin stuff. This is Bellevue Hospital stuff. And we are living in a society that is treating it like it's normal. It's crazy. So you talked about the rise in this phenomenon, and this is actually a good chance, I guess, to introduce Russell, because we were talking about this on our last episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. So welcome, Russell, from 
the you know uh, coffee breath conversations podcast and one of the thing one of the things russell brought up was that this rise that we are seeing in the gender ideology uh very much correlates with the increase of social media and the new generations that are completely immersed in social media they're coming of age on digital spaces more they are more than they are in like actual physical spaces now it feels like you know their sex lives all of that stuff is all coming to fruition online and that's where they're finding out about these things so i think russell is correct that there is a correlation between the rise in instagram and TikTok and and twitter and all of these spaces that we're seeing and the spreading of what is an ideology right it's it's kind of like a, a religion almost and that was how um richie who's a tulip r on twitter describes it as well who is a d trans person um and we go check that episode out as well if you guys haven't yet but it, that's how he describes it. he describes it as like leaving a cult leaving a religion and they will cast you out if you change your mind at all and decide to not be trans anymore you mean nothing to them a lot of these people the, the radicals the ideologues um so why don't we uh why don't we bounce it down let me hear toad give us your little how did you come into this toad what what inspired you to start your shit posting mania on twitter uh, and it's back to the covid shit right yeah well i got really drunk one night with my family and they're like do you have a twitter and i was like fuck no and then, like make one i was like okay and i wanted to be gay fraud after like alex jones but that was already taken and so i took gay toad and from there it just i i don't know what i'm doing at all i just <laughs> i like making fun of the shit that's not funny but i think to um bounce off what's already been said like in a larger picture of what's going on big picture i i think every revolution it's a counter-revolution, right? And I'll tie that back into the conversation. Um, with the American Revolution, we had the writing of the Constitution, and that's what sort of started, stopped that revolution. Now you see where you don't have a counter-revolution with like the revolution in France, they didn't really have one, and the madness continued. And I would draw a parallel to what happened back in the late 60s, 70s, with the liberation movement, especially in the gay community. I think where it started was wonderful and there was great footing and great purpose of why we needed to have that movement and that liberation. And I think what we're seeing right now is we really haven't had that counter revolution yet. The liberation movement of the 60s and 70s has now transcended into progressivism to where there is no line now. And I think what we're trying to decide right now and trying to defend is what that line is. And I think that's where we're seeing this pushback now with the counter-revolution. But um, I think these two gentlemen here will probably have a, a much more eloquent way of saying and uh, what that is and how we approach that. I, I think uh, <clears throat> I think you described the situation well, actually. But uh, let's uh, let's throw it, I guess, to Russell a bit. And I kind of want to go back to that point of social media and you know that correlation there how do we deal with that because at the same time that it's spreading the ideology right it's also what's enabling us here to link up right and to push back against it so it's like a uh it's like a two-way street right well i think what has happened here and i apologize i'm kind of sick right now not the coof so um <laughs> but uh just social media enables people to get together people to find their tribe 
And that is a very good thing, but it also opens up a whole new can of worms because whereas previously predators and people that were of ill intent sort of had to kind of find themselves in society and kind of feel people out and, and kind of skirt some very, very tedious lines to kind of find their people, so to speak. Now it's so available online for them to, I mean, Reddit was famous for years for our, our jailbait. That was very famous for years. Uh, 4chan, I mean, I've, 4chan's been around forever and I know that most of it's just shit posting but yeah. you know they really did you know 8chan and stuff like that there there really was um some pretty bad actors on there and they got away with it for a long time and then they spread out into different areas and and now it's you know I don't have the stats in front of me but like for every for everything they take down on the internet there's they're basically there's more being created all the time then the other fact is, is you have youth now that are getting into the internet space and they're saying, hey, I'm trying to live my life now and and that and these predators, they're like instantly attracted to that. Oh, yeah, I'll be your friend. I'll take care of you. And it's it's I mean, it's not uncommon. I mean, what was it uh, to catch a predator for years and years they were catching people and it was it didn't matter what job there was teachers there was cops there was military they finally ended the show because it was a judge and then the judge killed himself and then they covered the whole thing up because it was wow. uh it was a pretty big uh scandal that could have erupted out of that uh but i mean in prince albert saskatchewan we had a group called you're done bud and they were they were pretending to be like teenagers online and and they would people would show up and they just film them live stream them and the, their famous line was you're done bud and and you know and they were catching people left right and center with this and they weren't and it wasn't like you know they were saying that they were 18 19 and then you know people started messaging like oh i'm actually 15 or something like that they were very open about this whole you know oh this person is supposed to be underage and they were getting hits just left right and center and there was so much content and then it turned dramatic and there was police chases and of course you know like anything else it kind of got a little out of control and yeah. so they basically got told they had to shut it down and i think one of the reasons is these vigilante groups when they do these things sometimes they're stepping into what's already ongoing police investigations huh that's a good point yeah i never quite thought of it that way actually yeah maybe yeah. we should well i wanted to touch a bit on that point you brought up first you know so Initially, I brought up how the ideology is spreading amongst the youth now because of social media. But that point you brought up is really interesting, too, how the Internet just in general made it easier through forums and message boards and things like that for weirdos, for creeps to congregate and get together and find each other and meet and form groups and that sort of thing. And that's a really interesting way to look at this, too. Yeah, it's a big, uh, it definitely gave them a whole way to connect. And as we're seeing on Twitter, it's like, you know, Twitter's actively defending them and allowing them to get away with their shenanigans. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we should just, do we want to give a quick little discussion about what is grooming? Like yeah. we actually want to define it for the audience. Yeah, well, that there, there's a whole big 
argument going on right now politically over this word and whether or not it is an LGBTQ slur. Which <laughs> I think Merriam-Webster <laughs> even just recently <laughs> updated Josh's their, face. they just changed the definition, I think. It's crazy. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> Well, I first of all, it's like, Orwellian. First of all, let's just let's just start basic. So, yeah. like, yeah. grooming is the act. Uh, you know, in the, in the context that we're discussing it, you're basically psychologically preparing a child for an experience that will damage them, that will hurt them, uh, but be of benefit to you know the predator. So, you know, they, it could be like the sexual grooming of the child. Um, oftentimes, v victims of financial crimes are groomed for the experience before they actually are taken of and taken advantage of. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like this process of preparing the ground by a predator, um, by you know getting close to you, pretending to be your friend, gaining your trust. Um, maybe they're encouraging you to keep secrets, yeah. uh, separate from your, you from the family, separate you yeah. from the family, right? Isolate you, um, instill distrust in you know your circle, your network of people, which again in this case is the family, the parents. Um, and these are all the things that we have seen happen now in classrooms all across America in the name of gay rights, you know, in the name of people like us. And that's why, you know, we wanted to have this little moment where we come together and be like, no. Um, so I have this article pulled up basically from the Daily Caller. Let's see, I can share it right here. Share screen. What's up? Share, blah, blah. Here we go. So, and basically, you know, you can see the headline, clinical steps to grooming kids match exactly how they're being taught in school. Um, and then as we scroll down here, it says, most common tactics employed by groomers are cultivating a positive reputation within a community. So this, immediately I go to drag queen story hour. Um, introducing sexualized topics or imagery to kids. I mean, again, you know, drag queen story hour, you know, the way that they're going with the sex ed classes, younger and younger, you know, teaching children specific acts, including, you know, how to's on masturbation. You know, that's a big check mark right there. Isolating them from their parents, uh, encouraging to keep secrets. Um, and, you know, these are four big things that we've seen repeatedly in classrooms all across America. Notice, they notice that these techniques and, and we, which are, we are correctly calling grooming. Notice that these are cult induction techniques. Yes. This is this is what cults do. Um, I think people are angry about. Well, the people who are angry about being called groomers are angry because they're being accurately labeled. Uh -huh. They are cults. You can call it cult indoctrination. You can call it grooming. You can call it. Um, the kind of predation that, that personality disordered people, pathological narcissists, psychopaths do. We are all describing the same thing. There's a million different names for it, but it is that evil process. And that's why they are screaming. Yeah. And as we've seen, you know, up till now, they've been trying to skirt that P under the LGBTQIA plus K2S whatever umbrella for decades yeah, or they're calling it maps and now. yeah well that yeah. was so that was the thing we, we if we can track this you know if we go back just a few years um we can remember that they were you know they tried that rebrand as maps and even there was a point in time where twitter was had had included them in their their terms of service saying that pedophiles were basically welcome on the platform that you know as long as they were non-offending you know which Again, that's talk about the way that they manipulate language. Um, 
Well, you should, you should, we should spell out, I think, um, what that acronym, that initialism stands for, MAPS, Minor Attracted attracted Persons. That is deliberate. The euphemisms are deliberate. The name changes are deliberate. They are meant to... Sound less... They are meant to sound clinical and descriptive and to, to bankrupt and to drain out the appropriate emotional revulsion of the phenomenon that you are actually describing. Yeah, we had the same thing when we were talking to Richie uh, from the UK, uh, one of the, the D-trans uh, male to female, back to male um, individual who had that really viral thread. Um, he was telling us, you know, even the word pedophile is a misnomer because it means, child. you know, when you break it down, it's like, you know, child lover right. or like somebody, the, the philia means yeah. that you, you love something, you yep. have a really strong attraction to it. Um, but that's not what these people are. They want to consume and destroy these children child haters child eaters yeah they they, they, was like pedovore is almost a more accurate term or i I like to say child predator um because i think it's very accurate i think he said pedicel right wasn't it pedicel yeah pedicel because although i couldn't figure out how seal meant hater although i thought it was was a hater pedicel i think well i thought he was making a like jumping off of incel but yeah I was like, that's no. not how that word works. But um, yeah, I thought pedophore was actually a good way to say it because they, they sort of like consume the innocence of these children and they're left forever scarred. Well, I think they, 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 and by they, I don't just mean like predators on kids, but I think just predators in general, psychopaths, they view people as meat, as an object, yeah. as a means to an end, as food in a sense. Something like to be used. Something to be used, a resource, something to get something from, and, you know, and these types of people from the first meeting of them, when they meet someone, they're, they're sizing you up. That's like the first thing they're probably asking themselves is like, what can I get out of this person? And if they see something they like and they want that, then it's a matter of, well, what personality do I have to craft or form? to get this person to trust me you know what do they like and let me mirror that back to them in the best way that i possibly can to gain their trust to get in and then once they get in you know they get what they want that's when the mask usually starts to fall and then all of a sudden you realize like oh shit i'm in a trap so well i think i think you have to remember too is that when it comes to victims they victims are carefully selected nothing is done at random there's Mm -hmm. this this idea there's some you know old gay pervert that's going to be running around with a white van at the river kidnapping kids with free candy and taking off that that's such a misnomer and the random abductions while they do happen are incredibly rare more likely a person is, is going to be a victim by a family member by someone that's close to them it's it's almost it's so rare for people to end up uh victimized at random now that being said if you're going on to let's say a hookup app and you're engaging on a hookup app well you're increasing your risks right there you know just by using that type of service you're increasing your risk but overall in general and interesting statistics on this if someone is the victim of rape or victim of someone that you know has psychopathic sociopathic traits they score high on the pcl6 test uh things like that then they're actually more likely to be a victim again in the future there's just something there's just something about when they're victimized 
that can lead to further victimization in the future. Yeah. That's why I think you see a lot of young gay men that get groomed by these older gay men in the gay community and they end up later on being a victim of sexual assault again and again and again and it's a cycle that they don't seem to be able to get yeah. out of so I, I was gonna actually throw the ball to josh on this subject because i feel like he would have a lot to say on this but you know what what do you think it is that makes someone traumatized josh continue to be attracted to the same type of situation and trauma you know saying their relationships or their friendships and stuff after they maybe even left a previous traumatic situation they end up in another one later it's like why is it that so many people who are traumatized don't seem to i guess learn mostly it's because they were traumatized as children in the home environment they were um they, they were abused and or neglected in, and, and the, it, the word abuse, I hear this a lot because I, a child abuse is a big topic of my show. And what I frequently hear back from people is they'll say, well, you know, my mother or my father wasn't bad like yours. They weren't abusive, but dot, dot, dot. And what you find out is that a lot of people seem to think that the, the only thing that qualifies as abusive is physically striking another person or raping them, right? That's not the sum total of abuse. If you were in a household where you were never physically struck, you were never sexually molested, but you were psychologically exploited by a narcissist or a borderline, you were victimized as thoroughly as a child like I was, who was also beaten. Um, it, it is not, it's not the physical beating, I think, that really messes with children. It is the psychological distortion. It's the never being good enough to please your parent, uh, being molded into a product or an accessory to fulfill your parents' need for self-gratification, being oh, a dripping ground for all of their emotions. You are not taught what norm, you are not taught what love is. I literally... You do not know what love actually is, be that romantic and sexual love or familial love. You believe, and so why why do people get into these cycle, um, cycles over and over again? Uh, there is a possibility that my circuit breaker is gonna fry. If that happens, I'm sorry, I'll have to go deal with it. It's okay. <laughs> um, the, because you're, you are trying to, you're trying to give yourself a happy ending. You are trying to say, if I just do it right this time, because the people, people who have, who give predatory signals are like with a young person. I was groomed sexually by older men, but I was not an unwilling participant initially. I was a horny teenager, like most teenage boys are, but it was vastly inappropriate for men who were in their 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s to be dilly-dallying around with a 16-year-old boy. And you think you identify predatory exploitative behaviors as loving because they mirror what your parents did and you're trying to please them again. So you, you give off signals, the way you carry yourself, the things you're up to, 
the way you present yourself. I presented myself as a, um, well, I'm cute and young and I'm a party boy and I'm up for anything. I was a very, very easy target. I think that yeah. has a lot to do with it. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah. Hold on, I'm going to bring in George. George. Mr. Zamaripa. Hey, Zamaripa. Thanks for joining us, George. Hey. I came in, sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I came in and I was like, oh, do I have to listen to Josh's? <laughs> I know, Jesus Christ, it's Slocum, dude. blah, blah, blah. He has his own goddamn show, and no, he's got to take over this one, too. <laughs> we love when you take over. For anyone who doesn't know, George and Josh go back to college. Yeah. So. We yeah. went to college it's together. We're very good friends. We are. Oh, this bitch again. This bitch. Just got way cattier and gayer in here. Welcome, George. Hey. Hello, everybody. I don't know if you caught uh, the last bits that we were talking about, but maybe you want to jump off of that a bit. Do you just want to – so we talked about, you know, we defined grooming, and then Josh just gave us – I think you were in the – you probably heard that a little bit, uh, where he just basically explained why people who are – Victimized once tend to be victimized multiple times. It's because they are uh, repeating a pattern that was sort of instilled in youth where they're seeking love and not finding it. I think that's uh, the Pressman's referred to that as returning to the poisoned well mm -hmm. in uh, the Narcissistic Family, which is a really good book for grappling with yeah. these topics and these dynamics. If, if Great book. Folks out there, uh, I'm going to make a note that yeah. I put that Another in Another one, uh, Trapped in the Mirror. That one's worth reading. But still, yeah, just George, feel free to jump in here and let us know how you feel about the grooming that's happening in the name of homosexuals. Well, I probably, I probably, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't hear if everybody had already spoken yet, but I, I feel the same way I'm sure that everybody else does. I think it's, I think it's gross. <laughs> and I, um, you know, I, I'm glad that, that I came in and, somewhat glad that I came in to hear Josh speaking. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I'm, I'm actually glad because what you were saying is, I think is, is really, really important. I, you know, um, I think one thing that Josh and I have talked about in the past is this, this idea of, um, and I think it's changing probably a lot now, but at least when we were growing up and we were teenagers, we didn't have that normal teenage, you know, we didn't have those normal teenage uh, guy, not guideposts, or like sort of relationship things that 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 straight young kids have, where they get to go on dates and they get to make, you know, they get to have multiple boyfriends or girlfriends and and sort of figure, you know, figure things out. We didn't yeah. really get to do that. And we so, did not have a normal like coming of age. It's just correct. Not a Thank thing for us. I appreciate that. Yes, you I go. You go from nothing, gay kids, at least gay boys. You go from nothing, no normal. You don't get to practice romance. You don't get to practice prom. Nope. You don't get to do any of those normal things. You go right from nothing to we are fucking on the first date. That is your introduction to gay culture. That's it. You're immediately in bed. Yeah. I think it's just the repression, you know, and once you get to a point where you can express yourself sexually, I think, you know, I think th this applies to the whole culture itself because it's so young. And just as, as you know, homosexuals, we've been just repressed for so long that it's kind of like um, a child who grows up in a really like religious household and they're just under so many rules and restrictions that when they finally get freedom, you know, and 
we've all probably heard of this sort of person they go crazy you know they party they become a total slut things like that and i think it that's kind of what we're seeing as a whole amongst gay men in general um just as a pattern is that it's this kind of infantile like peter pan syndrome and and it goes back to what george said it's like we did not have examples growing up of how to do this there is no playbook for this shit and especially when it comes to things now like gay marriage and, and that sort of thing which is so new like it's there's no playbook for how to be gay men for how to have relationships for all of that stuff and we are very much playing the shit by ear and, and well there, there is out. a playbook though yeah. if you watch rupaul's dragons <laughs> or <laughs> your eye oh, yeah. straight guy that's how you do it guys. or if you watch davy wavy on youtube who's Who like fuck is that he's like the biggest gay youtuber basically shows how much i know he's been well he's been <laughs> doing it for the longest but the point is that they, the, there are these sort of like mainstream gay voices that are basically instructing the world on how to do gay. And they're, they're being artificially propped up by, you know, money. And they're trying to push this whole idea of, you know, younger and younger. Like now they have the, the whole drag kids thing, which is one of the reasons I first started getting online and talking was this was the thing I noticed really early before even the grooming in schools was a thing. They, we were grooming the populace with media, with culture. Yeah. Um, and some can even argue this goes back into the 90s with Disney and their little sexualized sure. uh, subliminal messages. There's definitely a step-by-step aspect to this. But now we've gotten to the point where we're at this stage where overt grooming of children is now occurring in schools under the guise of sexual education yeah. and, you know, gay rights. And and it's supported by the administrations of these schools. <laughs> Which is largely, yeah. largely a big point here, heterosexual women yeah. that are pushing this. All right. Bingo! So, bingo. All right, so Josh, maybe you want to riff on that a little bit. I know Gay Toad, you could riff on that, right? You hate women, right? We all what? know how much you hate <laughs> I'm not gay because I like men. I'm gay because women are fucking insufferable, okay? But <laughs> sorry, ladies who are listening. Daniel. I'm not. I'm not sorry. <laughs> oh, no, but I mean the point is that I think what the, the problem there is that women naturally have this tendency towards compassion, towards yeah. mothering. It's a natural instinct and it's healthy. But what we're seeing is that that instinct is being hijacked yeah. and perverted by ideology, which is pushing this sort of pseudo compassion it's like a caricature of compassion it's yes. a caricature of care like the whole gender affirming care phrase it's it's a caricature of the real thing because it's fucking evil that it has to pose as something else in order to move forward in order to advance an agenda well, to convince enough people that it is good that, that they are good, doing good right? by supporting this and that's what's so sinister about it too is that a lot of people really do truly think that by supporting this they're doing the good progressive thing here we are on the right side of history you know this is the next civil rights movement this is the most oppressed group right now i have never seen a situation where the most oppressed group is supported by all of the mainstream hollywood culture the, the all the big politicians i've just every bank every, every multinational bank, corporation i've never seen that it's just it doesn't make because, goddamn sense well it doesn't make any sense because it isn't real it's because not real. by definition no group who is supported by every level of the political structure, every culture opinion-making institution, and every transnational corporation is not oppressed. That's not real. 
Well, if you, so if you don't mind, I'd like to go back for a quick second. Sure. Just to talk about, you know, when you were mentioning about the these schools and these teachers in these schools. And while they may not be sexually assaulting these children themselves, what what they're doing is they're showing power. And when a teacher comes out to one of their students, the student has no choice but to affirm because that person's in a position of power. And what that what's being trained here is this idea that people in positions of power are always right, of course. You know, we that's, that's just part of our schooling system overall, and that we could have a whole chat about that. But when these teachers come out and say, well, I'm lesbian, and you see all the kids clapping and, and that, well, they're doing that. You know, maybe because they feel, oh, well, everyone else is clapping. This is supposed to be happy. So this is what yep. I'm going to engage in, which is grooming they, in itself. They don't even know how to conceptualize it. I don't think they're mentally prepared to conceptualize any of it. And even as adults, are we? It's nuts, the whole thing, when you think about it. Well, yeah, of course, it's Russell's right that, that they're showing power and, and they're also... And I, I, I'm pretty sure you would agree, Russell. They're, they're, they're violating very basic, long-held boundaries, really serious boundary violations. You do not, as an adult, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the parent, the deacon, the minister, the teacher, the guidance counselor, the guy who runs the candy shop. As an adult, you do not discuss sexual things with children and you do not put the image of yourself as a sexual being in children's minds and i'm sorry no i'm not sorry if that sounds prudish it's not but we are so far over the line it is it is that is part yes most of these teachers my guess is are not actually physically sexually molesting the children that is not the problem they are softening them up they are ensuring that many more of these children than otherwise will be sexual assaulted will put themselves in positions of danger well cultural marxism is this idea where everything is power and so these teachers they want to subvert the power of the education system you know in florida don't don't say gay bill which doesn't exist it's it's literally misinformation but they get to go to their classrooms and they they feel like well i'm going to subvert the expectations this power structure of a school that i hate and i'm also going to get some validation you know some munchy mommy type thing and that where these kids are forced to validate me is any kid in that classroom going to turn around and say well, I don't agree with uh, with you marrying that woman or, or whatever. No, the kid, of course, is not going to say that. And, and at any age, it could be in high school, there's, you know, no no one is going to say that because they understand that their reputation is at risk. They understand that their school, their school grades could be at risk. They could have long-term consequences from that. And so because of that, they are put in a situation where they are forced to do something that they may not even understand. And yeah. that is opening the doors to predation. Yeah, I think George had something to say. No, I was just gonna, I was just gonna agree with Russell, just like Josh did. I, I think it's, I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, the wh what we're doing is, is, is what is exactly what you said. We're, we're, we're creating by, by eroding the boundaries. We're creating 
we're creating an opportunity, right, for for young people as they mature to to no longer have that gut instinct that maybe something's not right. Yes, because as soon as we're basically telling, you know, the teachers are telling them that it's it is normal and it is acceptable to that adults might talk to children about sexual yeah. topics. We're doing by doing that, they are that that is the grooming. That's yeah. that's what's happening. And the the school is basically preparing the ground. It's doing half of the predators work for them in advance. It's making these kids susceptible. Yeah, it's preparing them for the experience by, you know, eroding these boundaries. And, and this is the whole point of grooming. It's the gradual erosion of these boundaries as the trust is gained, you know, oh, so-and-so would never do that. And then before you know it, bam, that child is damaged for life. And, and I just wanted to bring this up. I had this little article pulled up in advance. Um, you know, it's not that, you know, a lot of these teachers aren't, you know, trying to actually physically or sexually abuse the kids, but a lot of them are. And this was just, you know, from uh, July of this year, at least 181 educators between K through 12 charged with child sex crimes just in the first half of the year. So, I mean, it's not a lot, granted, there's probably hundreds of thousands of teachers in the country, but there are a number of them that are actually going to, you know, commit sex crimes against students. It says 140 of the arrests involved. A lot also go unreported. A lot of these teachers, like, I, I imagine go their whole careers without getting caught and then this stuff comes out later <laughs> after they've already retired and, and that sort of thing and then there's the also the issue that uh, we have in the in our culture of sort of tolerating female abuse against young men um so every once in a while probably like every quarter i see a story about a, you know a young lady teacher who slept with you know a, somewhere between a 15 to 18 year old male student and you know a lot of the comments are approving you know like oh i wish that happened to me when yeah. i was his age and all, all this stuff but when you actually speak with victims if you read their statements you know these men are traumatized just as much as young women who yeah. are abused by men and i think it ruins the relationship with women it ruins how they relate to women later in life and you know i had a a former student when I was a sub, I used to sub high school before the lockdowns, and he came to me once and told me some of his issues, and he was abused by a girl when he was 12, you know, and he felt like very ashamed of this as a boy, as a man. And it's just like, I think that's what it comes down to is the whole masculinity thing is that we view it, we can't view ourselves as a victim. So I think just psychologically, they grow up and a lot of them have to view the abuse in like a positive way. And this is especially true amongst the young boys who get groomed by gay men. And yes, you mentioned your friend. Uh, well, we have a mutual friend who was, he was 12 and he lost his virginity to a 35 yeah. year old man. And he was basically groomed for the experience and to like he still speaks of it, you know, positively yeah. because the guy was physically attractive and you know but now that that individual is very promiscuous yeah. so one has to wonder and he has an alcohol issue so I'm just uh, no, there's no wondering that's exactly that's yeah. exactly why it happened and uh i don't need to know your friend to know with a high degree of confidence um that he was prepared for this by his family too whether or not they ever sexually abused him is irrelevant um this there's an i think I think, tell, well, you guys tell me what you think about this. 
we don't often talk about what it is about sex between adults and children that does the damage, right? We don't actually say, okay, what's the mechanism? What's going on here that makes this unhealthy? And this is what I think. I think that it is the introduction of sexual intimacy into a power imbalance relationship. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it is somebody having power over you as an older adult, all engaging in an act of such close intimacy, whether or not you want to, I don't care what you say about it. Oh, well, it was just bodies. We were just getting off with each other. Our emotions are also hooked into this. Our, our, this kind of intimacy is meant to be shared between equals. It is meant to be shared between equal adults who approach each other and build a romantic connection and maybe a life together on equal terms as peers in roughly the same period of life. This is why it's not a problem for a 40-year-old to marry a 50-year-old, but it's definitely a problem for a 20-year-old to have sex with a 10-year-old. That is the damage. That's what warps your sense of self-esteem and your ability to trust people. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and it also sort of imprints upon you the, you know, what is normal, where it, it totally warps your perception of what uh, should be. And that violation is, is really important because it sets the individual up to be a victimizer later when they, when they become older, because that, that, you know, that block has been totally removed, that border is gone. So unless they reestablish it through, you know, therapy and self-work later, they are more prone to exhibit the the same behavior that caused the problem for them. Well, and there's and there's varying studies too. I mean, um, statistically speaking, if if someone comes forward and says that they were sexually assaulted by someone, that person that did the sexual assaulting, especially if they're a child predator, is most likely had at least two other victims. Whether or not they come forward or not is you know, it's unfortunate, but many people hide that for their entire lives. They go to their their graves with with this sense of shame, and it's uh, you know, like I I was on your show uh, the other day, and I was talking about you know my personal story about a family member that was groomed and violently sexually assaulted uh, when they were eight years old until they were thirteen, and they finally told someone, and this happened over years. And we have to remember this is this is a crime of power. The actual sexual act itself, there's plenty of sexual predators out there that are married and have kids, but they're out there sexually predating against little boys. And that, and is that because they're closet homosexuals? Probably not. Most likely they feel, you know, and it goes back to childhood and all that, you know, they feel powerless. So they feel that they have to exert power over other people. And that's what it is. When, when people try to frame child sexual assault as a sexual crime while there is the sexual element to it that is only to exhibit power over the other person just like any type of sexual assault when someone sexually assaults someone they're not doing it they may even they may justify in their minds and say well i love them they love me like the justifications are crazy but at the end of the day it comes down to a power imbalance and a power dynamic where the abuser gets gets a sense of satisfaction from having completely dominated someone and the victim is left completely dominated and doesn't know what to do who to go to 
um especially especially in cases you know where it involves young gay men who can't maybe talk to their parents or you know talk to anyone about it so they internalize it or they you know quite often people will make up a a story or or they view themselves in the third person while the act is occurring because the mind disconnects and it's a self-protection mechanism and then they convince themselves hey i enjoyed that i like that that person actually likes me because quite often when it when it comes to child sexual predation after it occurs the the predator will actually feel some remorse not always but sometimes and they tend to buy them gifts and they tend it's similar to domestic violence with the honeymoon period and that right and that's to that's it only further confuses the person yeah it's a good way to do it you sort of uh give them whiplash you know it's like one second you're bombarding them with love the other second you're abusing them and then you switch back and forth to keep them totally off kilter it's a pattern that we see with the uh, the cluster B personality disorders, but it's also a pattern uh, that you know you see with predators across the board. Wait, can we can we define what cluster B personality is real quick? Okay, Josh. Well, this is Josh. Josh, do it. Thank you. Sure. Um, I I know that that term is unfamiliar to many people, um, but you do actually know who these people are. You'll understand it uh, in a moment. Uh, you may not have heard the name, but you know these people. Personality disorders, there are many different kinds. I focus on those that are called cluster B. There are clusters A, B, and C. Cluster B is what are called the erratic and dramatic personality disorders. Personality disorders are longstanding, deeply entrenched psychiatric disturbances. They are not amenable to treatment the way often depression or anxiety can be, or even manic depression with the right medication. They are very refractory to treatment, meaning most people with a cluster B personality disorder are not going to be different. They're not going to recover. You're not going to love your your borderline wife back to health for the most part. Um, What they all share, even, even though only one of them has this label, what they all share is a fundamental narcissism and insecurity, self-centeredness, it may express itself in overt ways or covert ways. It may be slyly manipulative. It may be bombastic and over the top. Um, they, it is, it's, when you see a Karen, when you see one of these women who are screaming at the help in the store and being completely unreasonable, you're looking at someone who almost certainly has a cluster B personality disorder. Um, when you see, um, uh, you know, Un- unstable, emotionally volatile. I love, I hate you, don't leave me. Your friend who says on one day that you are the most handsome, attractive, erudite, fabulous, fun person. They love you so very much. And then the next day when you don't answer their texts on time, how could you do this to me? Um, you know, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's borderline personality disorder. So most people have run into someone like this. So, so what your, is it about, sorry, go ahead. No, he's just going to say uh, the, the, the groups are uh, narcissists, uh, the histrionics, which have like the crazy emotional reactions. The borderlines. The borderlines, which is the characteristic switching, that yeah. love bombing and that, 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 that going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then the, the antisocials, yeah. which are the sociopaths and psychopaths. Yeah. And yeah. there's, there's overlap, too. There's lots of overlap. Lots of, yeah. and that, that's why they're described as a cluster, because 
you know, they kind of intersect with each other. But psychopathy, what we think of just someone who straight up has no conscience at all, falls into this category yeah. as well. It's basically the most extreme version of this is someone who just has zero conscience, you know, where someone who's right. just like borderline or maybe narcissistic could have a conscience in there still, but, you know, they have those accessible to them. Yeah. It's accessible in a way where it's just, it's obscured by all the other negative um, traits. The thing to, re to remember about these is they're very severe. These are not moderate to light mental illnesses. They are severe. There's no such thing as a mild personality disorder. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we often say, like, like you guys are right. You know, the psychopaths are the often the worst of the worst, although yeah. sometimes the borderlines give them a run for the money. Um, <laughs> but it's not, it's not the case. It's not the case that, oh, she's only a borderline. No, yeah. no, 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 no. If you are a borderline at all, you are already in the severe alarm category. Okay? Right. Thanks. What is it about category B that relates specifically relates to grooming. I, I noticed that you mentioned category B more over than A or C. Um, does A or C also attribute to grooming or the qualities that are described in category in those categories? Um, does that Russell, what would you you have X Russell take this? Well, I, I'd have to pull out my textbooks on this because cluster A and cluster C personality disorders are are definitely they're not the they're not the same um they're they're quite different but some something with the cluster c personality disorder as far as i understand is someone that like um they they have a high they have a high tolerance for disgust or something like that i'm trying to remember god my my brain's not working today but basically cluster c would be people that um that like they have a connection with things that are like really gross and disgusting and things that we would find unpalatable um they may they're they're also like typically like like loners and things like that and the cluster a's like they have like uh like high high levels of introversion and that i don't i won't lie that's a basic the most basic overview i have because it i i haven't looked at my uh books so and written papers on that real quick cluster a is the paranoid schizoid and schizotypal personality yeah, disorder. so that's my dad generally disordered uh marked by difficulty with social interactions and my thoughts dad. that don't conform to reality that is my dad um then we have the cluster b's which are the you know generally grouped antisocials because they they tend to cause more damage to the people around them than the individual themselves uh, and then a cluster C are focused on anxiety and fear. They're the avoidant, dependent, and obsessive compulsive yeah. disorder. Kind of also my dad. He's like a mix yeah. of C and A. You can you can get you know all people are capable of some degree of exploitative behavior. Sure. You know you do, you you don't have to have a personality disorder to behave badly. Well, but, I think we're in like a narcissistic society as a whole yeah. now because. But, media and all of that so. the, the quick way ricky the quick way to understand this people are not going to like this but sometimes you have to say it bluntly um like that. the cluster b's are the erratic and the dramatic they are the they are the exploitative machiavellian uh use other people as objects they, they in a word they're they're what we call bad people yeah they're what we call bad people they're what ricky calls demons <laughs> Right? Yeah. That's, that's your cluster bees and there, I, i'll leave some room in there i will leave some room in there for the borderlines who are more pure borderline 
and don't have a lot of narcissistic bleed over. If these people, sometimes these people are aware enough, they can they can seek therapy. Yeah. And some of them can make a recovery. I like, believe that, that at one point sick. in my life, I probably qualified in my 20s for a borderline or histrionic personality disorder diagnosis. A very common outcome from having been raised by somebody like that. So there are there are ones who can sort of uh, recognize like, all right, yeah. like, but it's, it's, it's a minority of people. It's okay. a minority of people. Um, you're very unlikely to meet a um, recovered cluster B. Yeah. Uh, you're very likely to meet an active cluster B. Um, and the thing about this, before we called them personality disorders, we called them character disorders. And I like character disorders yeah. because we are, in fact, we're not talking about just an illness that comes over an otherwise normal person. We're talking about the moral quality of your very character. Yes, it is a moral judgment. And, and cluster Bs fail to meet that minimum moral mark. Uh, What's okay. interesting is you, you probably have two categories of that as well. You have people who recognize it and then seek help, but then you probably have the other category of people who recognize it and then they know what they need to do in order to conceal it, uh, especially from those who want to. I, I, I believe that would fall under sociopaths, correct? Uh, it could be. It could be any of them, actually. Uh, okay. the, the, there's a there's a. The problem with personality disorders, a, a little psych lingo may help, actually. They are called egosyntonic as compared to egodystonic. What does that mean? It means that they experience their behavior and their emotions as normal. Most of them do not recognize that anything at all is wrong with them. Yeah. They think they are the ones that are right. It is compatible with their ego, right? Whereas an egodystonic, psychiatric state might be something like depression, excessive anxiety, uh, hallucinations, where you are, you know, something's wrong with you, you are suffering, you are in pain, and you know, that it's in your mind. That's ego dystonic, you want to get rid of it. Most of the cluster bees experience their condition as ego syntonic. That's yes. why it's such a bear. So the extreme version of that too, you know, and looking at the like full-blown psychopath types and i mean the ones who have just no conscience like at all i think some of them get to a point where not only do they view nothing wrong with them like they're fine they view themselves as actually better superior superior um, yes there there's you're you're too weak with your petty little emotions you can't yes. do what needs to be done to obtain power and control like i can you know, you're held back by those little ugh, emotions. They're a weakness. And they view themselves as more powerful, as stronger for not having that. And I think there are ones who get to that point where they cognitively recognize that distinct difference. Between oh, there are many of them. People. They know the mirror. In DC. Yeah, they're all in DC. <laughs> <laughs> they have to play act yes, the emotions. literally. Back and yes. they understand that it's, it's a game that they're playing, but those other people that they're mirroring and pretending to be like, they're better than them. That's how they view themselves. Yes. And, and they say, and, and this is why you find so much of the child predation and other kinds of predation among the cluster bees. They, this type of psychopath, and there's a lot of them. It's not just a few, Daniel, I don't think. I think it's, it's maybe even more than half of them are consciously aware of this. And they say, and therefore, you weak people with your emotions, you deserve my exploitation. You don't measure up. You have it coming. We've seen people who actually say things like that. 
Yeah. And this is also how predators view children, especially when they see, you know, they have access to them in the schools. Well, they, they also look for easy prey. And I, I think Russell brought this up. I don't know if it was today or on our on our last episode, but they they aren't going to look for someone who's easy to go for. They're going to look for someone who is, I'm sorry, they're not going to look for someone who's difficult to go for. They're going to look for someone who is as easy as possible for them to target, to to um, isolate, right? They might even look for someone who's already isolated from their family because it's much easier to already get them on their side. So yeah. it's like, um, it reminds me of predators in the wild. You know, if they're chasing after a pack of animals, they're going to go after the slowest one. They're going to go after the one with the leg that's that's limping or broken or something because they're going to want to expend less energy to get that food, to get that resource that they're looking for. And I think this is how they, these predators operate too. So like Russell said, how many of them are actually just straight up abducting kids? That's rare, you know? There's a whole lot of planning and plotting and like really waiting and looking for the right scenario and situation to then exploit. Well, there there are some noted different circumstances. For for example, people with low cognitive functioning are probably more likely just to try to grab someone off the street yeah. because they lack the ability. They're they're disordered disordered thinking, disordered yeah. offenders. So they're more likely or, to do something like that. Or the grabbing could be part of the thrill for the particular offender where it's like they that's that's how they want to obtain the victim because that's part of the excitement for them or whatever. But it, it is rare. You know, like you said, typically it's someone that the kid knows who is close to them. And, well, yeah. Well, well, just saying that, for, for example, like li- when I grew up in my household, like my my mother had a lot of personality disorders and and that. And I mean, I, I won't get into it, but it was it was pretty hellish overall and that is what that predator focused on that predator saw that and used that as an entry point to get into our lives and and have access to his preferred victim type and then commit the exploitation and then afterwards you know he went to prison for i think it was six years canadian justice system is is a interesting fickle thing so he was out pretty quick, spent most of his time minimum security because they like to keep the max and mediums for the gangbangers and the that sort of stuff. So sex predators tend to have a pretty easy time in prison overall. Um, and shot. <laughs> Tell us Uh-oh. how you really- we're going to have to cut the stream now, just like Tim Poole just. No, I think that's. I mean, that's fine. We're not, we're not monetized. We're we're not. He didn't say anything. You heard that's why I've been so quiet during this. I apologize. It's we. No, Toad's right though. We we have a shocking amount of tolerance for people who abuse and destroy the innocence of children. Well, and it, it blows my mind. Like, why are these? Why is you know raping a child a slap on the wrist compared to you know somebody who sells like drugs or you know or anyone doing it to anyone let alone just a child but you know ricky you mentioned being quiet on here and you know maybe you want to talk a little bit about your own experiences i know you have you know a past of abuse of some sort um you don't you don't i thought you did i thought you were like something happened no i don't want to talk about it it doesn't matter shut the fuck up well i mean with my my family my family's wonderful i've had abusive relationships in the past and I'll leave it but I guess I mean just what it does to a person and if you can think about like what do just to an adult 
to be in a situation like that. Imagine what it does to a child to be in a situation like that. It's like 10 times worse. Yeah, well, and then you like yourself, you look inwards, you think, what am I doing wrong? What did I do yeah. wrong to deserve this? Um, you know, it's it, it turns the strongest people into like the most, I, I don't want to say weakest, but I, I would say most vulnerable yes. in a sense. Um, yeah, it's a violation. Yeah. It's a clear violation of boundaries that we should have, which is why we all want to come here and just be like, stop grooming children. I don't get it. It drives me such, like, I just get so mad. Um, I have a couple of things pulled up from um, Libs of TikTok and a new thread from Christopher Rufo. If folks aren't familiar with Christopher Rufo, you should definitely look him up on Twitter. Um, he is doing a lot of work exposing the depth of the indoctrination um, in school districts. He goes into these school districts, he looks up their publicly available documentation and he just throws it out there, kind of like what Libs of TikTok is doing with liberal people on TikTok, but more specifically, you know, going into the schools uh, and, and finding out like exactly, you know, what they're saying. What they're how they're instructing their teaching staff and their administrative staff, and then blowing all that up online. He's got this new uh, series from the San Diego Unified School District, where he's basically showing um, uh, this series of uh, like uh, what's it called a little slideshow, um, where they basically get rid of the male and female categories that they are uh, saying that this training is to facilitate the removal of heteronormativity um, because, you know, heteronormativity is this idea that heterosexuality is normal, um, that monogamy is normal, which, wait, it is. It's, it is. <laughs> and, it is. And let's, let's define normal here because Normal people, just means average. Most common, most common. thing. Because when people right. hear abnormal, they, right. so, they associate negativity to this term when something is abnormal. We have an abnormal sexuality. So yes. what they've less what, common. What the what the what the commies are doing basically, what the enemy is doing is they're trying to set up this situation where what is normal is is considered bad or evil so that way they can come in here with their abnormal solution which is good which is it, it, it's interesting because it strikes me as this whole narcissistic reversal it's this inversion of reality where evil is good and good is evil and they flipped it so that it's really hard for people to tell and it, they the reason they target children is because children are naive they don't know any better and it's very easy for them to get targeted by ideologies, which is why, you know, like Camel Cigarettes years ago had to have the cartoon Camel removed from the cigarette package because they knew that marketing to children was much more effective than marketing to adults. So these people are doing very similar things with something that's arguably much more dangerous than cigarettes. This ideology has the potential to not only destroy the innocence of children, but also destroy their sexual and reproductive functions. Yeah. Basically, you know, making them, you know, totally miserable or unable to have kids. Dooming them to be eternal patients, yeah, it basically. Says, it says the... the <laughs> The system of heteronormativity forces students to conform to these norms. They are assigned sex at birth, pressed into identities of man and woman, and expected to have heterosexual relationships culminating in marriage and children. 
This gender binary, however, is arbitrary and socially constructed and harmful. Yeah. Spreading the human race <laughs> is harmful, guys. Just like <laughs> having families is a bad thing. Bad. I just and this is going. What was that, George? But that's what they want us to believe. I mean, this is, you know, James Lindsay does a great job of talking about this in a lot of his conversations is this, this destruction of, of the family, which goes right back to, to communist Marxist uh, ideology. Absolutely. So not surprising. (laughs) And the thing that we gay people are really vulnerable to this too. Um, Yes. You know, George and I have talked many times, well, I mean, a lot privately and a few times on my show, because we went to school together at Sarah Lawrence College, you know, one of the liberalists of the liberal arts colleges. And we were taught queer theory, post-structuralism, Foucault, um, deconstructionism, anti-colonialism, all that shit. And we were all in it. We were all completely in it. And the, the idea that the family, that the family is a site of oppression is particularly attractive to young gay people because of many of our experiences having family problems. What happens, it, you know, and I won't get it, I'm going to mention it, but I won't get into it. We can talk about it another time on another show if you like. Um, the reality is that gay people statistically have a much higher chance of coming from an abusive home. And I do not just mean that they were thrown out uh, when they came out. I mean, the abuse preceded that. Yes, I am suggesting a correlation. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the things you're hoping I'm not saying, I am saying. Yeah. Um, so our experience of family, not all of us, I know, I hear you, some gay men, maybe in this room, maybe in other places, I hear you already. I hear you saying that wasn't my experience. I believe you, okay? But I am talking about statistical averages. We tend to conceive of the family as as an oppressive site. We forget or we never learn that normal families, non-abusive families, not perfect families, but normal families are in fact extraordinarily important and we are evolved to function within them. And so it's very easy for us to get pulled off of this and start fighting against the family. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's, you know, it's very easy for them to hijack, you know, the, the natural sort of situation that brews when, you know, someone comes out as gay or, or trans or whatever it happens to be. And to start to get in there and, and just drive that wedge in there to separate them fully. There was a video not too long ago from Jeffrey Marsh, uh, who, which people may or may not be familiar with Jeffrey Marsh, but he is the worst. Oh, that guy. <laughs> he's the one that talks like this. And he's always, he's got the very oh, intro- my God, grand trans people. And he's always got this look on his face. Yeah, the cluster guy. Very much like a cartoon cobra from a Disney kid, like the Jungle Book, trying to hypnotize you. He, he does like seem like he wants to eat me when I look at him. I'm he like, does. I'm good. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Wants to consume the essence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because he, he does his videos and it's very popular on TikTok, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of views. 
And he has this thing where he like, you know, asks parents to give the, the phone to the kids so he can talk directly to the children. And then he sort of grooms them by, you know, elaborating the genderqueer, you know, uh, sort of basis that, you know, boys can be girls and girls can be boys. And, and really what all that nonsense is, is just the reintroduction of gender uh, conformity and gender stereotypes just with a twist, you know, and now they're saying, you know, what it means to be a girl or what it means to be a boy is what you know what makes you stereotypically male or female it's like if you act male well that's because you know you like sports and you like to be rough you know tom girls are now going to be they're all trans they're all trans yep. men is is the way according to these these people so it's total bs and it blows my mind that it, it, it's taken it's had to get to this point now where we're seeing these videos from lives of TikTok where they're showing children at drag performances where the TTs are out bouncing around even if they're fake still not appropriate no it's definitely not appropriate still there was appropriate. there's I have one video pulled up here let me see if I can grab it you gonna play it for us yeah I can play it. to play this yeah we could these are lives of TikTok stuff okay so right. this should be fine um, this was, you know, uh, family, family drag show in Palm Springs, um, California. You can see it. they're basically just encouraging <laughs> the child to get up there. This old guy with the cake. Throwing dollars at the child. This is stripper. That's Herbert from Family Guy. Uh, I was about to say that. The old guy from Family Guy. <laughs> I got a whole face full of popsicles. But again, you know, is this, this conflation of what is acceptable you know they're they're introducing the drag like bringing the child up on stage throwing money at the child yeah. all of this i find yeah it's like telling the child so wrong. you should do this too this is it's stripper culture it is. what they what they do what they do is they do it in Everyone's a clever way and in the sense that they, they guise it under this this facade of equality and like a parallel that i could draw to or an example let's say the anti kicking puppies movement okay nobody wants to kick puppies okay we love puppies but if the anti-kicking puppies group were fucking mobbing businesses and looting them you're like no i don't really stand with this group and they say so you're against kicking puppies are you for kicking puppies they're, they're so clever in the way that they word these 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 groups or how they disguise them as especially with the group like this, it's the grooming of children, but then it buys it under gay liberation. That's not what it is. That's not what yeah, we're for. Education. For like education. The kids about our existence. And I, it's like, oh. Okay, that, 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 what we just saw there, I mean, stripper culture, absolutely. But let's call it what it actually is. This is whore culture. That's prostitution glorification. I'm not yes. joking. Yeah. I'm not trying to make you laugh. I mean, I like it when you laugh, but that that is prostitution. I like the word. I'm sorry. Well, and that's you, all, it's kind oh, of like drag, drag performances are sort of Ricky a derivative. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> do you think do you think that motherfucker is not turning tricks for money? Yeah. Tell me you uh, think I, that. I, I have very little doubt that there's Probably some uh, other income coming in on the side. <laughs> and then this is another in, one from Liz. Income coming. In. <laughs> but again, this, this one's harder to see. But Ricky, behave. The kid basically gets up on the table and she's, you know, encouraging, you know, him to dance, wave his arms around. She's giving him money. Oh. No. 
Like, this is wrong. They make me want to go back in the closet. I, I just don't, Stop, you're embarrassing us. I don't us. get why it's just, like... I, I, the but queen, the real question you got to ask, why is everyone clapping? Exactly. Why, why? why are all these it's crazy it's, people in here bringing their kids in here and yeah. basically saying, in 10 years, I want you sucking dick for a fiver. That's what they're doing. That's kind of what it looks like. I mean, you know what the crazy that? thing is? I go. I love drag races. I go to a gay bar near me. They yeah. have it all. No, time. Brett and I love it too. You know, I I go there to get away from daily life. Daily life, including fucking kids. I I, I don't want kids to be around me when I do these fucking shows. And I go there. There's a fucking kid there. I'm gonna kill myself. Yeah. Like, so I, I, meant- I go there to get away with that shit. Exactly. Like, why, exactly. Why the fuck are you there? It's not for if children. There there's a fucking kid there. Not for, be, oh my god. Well, like, remember remember Desmond is amazing yeah. and and the and the, what was it the ketamine one where yep. where the kid made the motion that they were doing a line of ketamine yes. or something that, like that. That was on the YouTube channel of convicted murderer Michael Aleg who chopped a body up and threw it into the Hudson and this kid's mother allowed her kid to sit down and talk with this person on his show on YouTube and make drug references and jokes and all that stuff. Why does that woman even still have that child? Since Why is that woman not in prison? Exactly. It's because the New York CPS had cleared her and her husband of any wrongdoing after a thorough investigation. At least that's their their official line. Well, I want to touch back on the point that Ricky made about drag shows. And it's like, look, the point of drag shows is it's supposed to be body. It's supposed to be lewd. It's supposed to be shocking and, and all of that stuff. That's the point. When you go to an event like this, that's what you're going expecting to see. Why would you want to take something like this and, one, include kids into that? Because then personally me, I would feel uncomfortable with them there. I wouldn't be able to enjoy all of the body lewd adult humor, right? Or why would you want to take an event like that and then try to like water it down and make it more family friendly, which would then just be a boring ass drag show and defeats the whole point point of having a drag show to begin with. Keep the kids out. It's not for them. You know, the, this, it's this, a, see, this is how we this is how we sell it to these lunatic fucking leftists. We say it's bad for business, okay? Yeah. You bring them in there. Your show's gonna be watered down. No one's gonna yes. watch that shit. Just like, just leave them out, okay? But like, they're not. The they're they're not watering them down, though. They're that's, not. That's they true. And <laughs> they're they're presenting it oh, as if oh, they, maybe are. they are. Maybe they are where you go. I mean, I, yeah. th- I think they're watering them down a bit, but clearly not enough. Clearly not enough. Because look at the shit we're seeing. You know, coming well, online too much. And some of this stuff, George. I mean, it, and George, you know, if you disagree with me, if you think I've got this wrong, you know, you. T- Please say so. But it seems to me drag has always been bawdy um, and, and had an element of the burlesque to it. But it didn't used to be this consistently filthy. Hmm. I think that, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think that there were always the acts that you knew, like when somebody did something like super over the top, it was shocking. You know, I remember watching. I remember watching. Um, uh, I remember. I, I remember going to see. Um, uh, was it Wigstock back in the '90s when I was in New York City? And you know, you would see every type of, of drag. You would see, you know, it's campy stuff, which was always my favorite. You know, funny. You know, lip synca kind of silly. Yeah. Really funny. 
kind of stuff. But then you'd see things where it was like, you know, I remember there's one where it's like somebody's up there, like, you know, do it. And then all of a sudden they gave live birth on stage. (laughs) (laughs) But it was ridiculous. And it's stupid. It is. It's stupid. Because it's supposed to be. But like you were shocked because you're like, you weren't expecting that or, you know, whatever. So. There's some interesting comparisons. People were talking about this this style called panto, which is more specific to the theater, which again, George, you might have more experience with being of the theater. Um, But I thought this was interesting because people were trying to say, oh, drag is just like panto. It's the same thing. And somebody was like, oh, well, let's, let's do some compare and contrast. So I thought we'd go through here. This is funny. This is Panto right here. You can see very almost wholesome. Yeah, I, I've seen stuff. I love like this look. I think this is funny. It's a, it's yeah. It's a British sort of sensibility. It's funny, right? Yeah, it's very look, cartoony. They're more, they're more covered up. It's, it's not sexualized. Not sexual. It's it's more. I don't know. Just bubble gum. Yeah, like you said. Like and yes, that that thing. is a man under there. Yeah. Well, it's campy. It's camp. Yes. I mean, yeah. And then we go to drag, yeah. which is look at that. Yeah. You're telling me that's the same as what we were just looking at. She got them titties hanging out and cough like, hanging like a motherfucker. That shit nasty as hell. And right, you know she's turning old. tricks, you know, on the weekend. Like this is this is prostitution culture. This is horror culture. On the weekend, she eats cock for breakfast on Mondays. This event to go says, turn but... a trick. Like, but I I guess I guess I gotta ask though, like uh, you know, as members of the gay community, when are we going to to really call it out? Like, I know we called out on social media, but like, I look at Alex Stein. He went to that one drag show and he like followed that drag queen out and was telling her like, "Why are you doing this? Why are you doing yeah. this near kids?" And that one thing I want to say yeah. really quick too: if you want to hire an entertainer for your kid's birthday party or something, hire a fucking clown. <laughs> and that, all right, because number one, they're trained to entertain children, and number two, they're screened. Yeah. All right, still kind of creepy, but it, well, I mean, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, I mean that, and that is quite the unique situation overall. Hopefully, it's a unique situation. Who the fuck knows these days? But uh, I just want to say, like, like as the uh, you know, as members of the uh, gay community, and that, how are we going to push back against this? Because there's a lot of a lot of um, I call them the high society cheap seats gays that seem to think this is perfectly fine and that everything is dandy and nothing's going on. We're overreacting. Yeah. So what are we going to do? The institutional gays. Yeah. I mean, those those gays are afraid of being kicked out of the cool club, the hip club, and that's what it comes down to. And I guess uh, I mean we're starting right. Like this is a step here getting more gay voices to come together and actually talk about this stuff. And I think when more people see us talking about this and and by this, I mean, non-gay people, they, I think will also get a little more courage to also speak up. And I'm, I'm going to bring up Josh's last episode of disaffected because you talked about this on your show and, you know, and often people like us who are discussing these things, we get these messages in private from people and they say, you know, thank you for the things you're doing and what you're saying. And, you know, like, I love that you're fighting back and, and we love that stuff. That's great. But we're doing it because we want you to also feel like you can find the courage in yourself to also say these things too, and to also speak about these subjects and to not be afraid. Um, You will have people who will, defend you who will be willing to discuss those things and and 
you can do it, you know, and that's kind of, that's the main point of why we're doing this is we want you to feel also comfortable enough to talk about these things. And as gay men, we're saying you are allowed to, you're allowed to, and you're allowed to criticize us too. You're allowed to. But can I turn the knife a little bit? I agree with everything you said, but I need to add a little bit of salt to the wound. Add that salt. I don't want you to be comfortable. I don't care about you being comfortable. I want you to be so uncomfortable that you feel compelled to do the morally right thing. Being brave and being bold is not about being comfortable. It is about doing the right thing even though your knees are quaking, yes. okay? I'm a loud mouth, but believe it or not, there are some days when I get ready to do my show when I'm frozen with stage fright and I am terrified about what I'm going to say because, because I know what the reaction is gonna be, but I do it anyway. This isn't gonna be easy. You can't wait until you feel comfortable. You can't. Yeah. I, I would say- We're out of time now. You gotta, you gotta just, do it now. I don't mean the show, I, as a society, there's <laughs> no more time to just wait around. Yeah. No, I yeah. figured we'd actually, uh, we'd move on to discuss potential actions and solutions once we were finished lamenting all of this disgusting. Oh my God, Brent. I, wanted, I have to oh, share to bring this one. one up. I have to share this, this one. This one shocked me earlier this too. One, I was just like, this wow, one's really that's, bad. Uh, but this is also from a pride parade on the street too. I think yeah. this is in Europe though. Um, Probably. So just steal yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Trigger warnings. <laughs> is that his is whole ass penis? Oh, no, it's, it's, it's fake. It's, it's fake. fake. Yeah. But oh it, it's at first glance, and then it's you know, it's just like ugh. that's just fucking disgusting. Just, that's not entertaining. It's, it's just not disgusting. Art, it's not drag. It's not like it's just. Like you can't leave like a little bit of allure to the, it's like, they don't even care about leaving anything to the imagination anymore. It's just like right in your fucking face. Panto like, drag. Yeah. And how many kids were in that audience? Too, this I one, wonder. she actually like real, Oh, there's a child here. Oh my, maybe I shouldn't have my tatas out. Oh wait, let me go over here and take your money. Uh, it's yeah. just so what this, what this queen should have did is said, well, I don't feel comfortable performing with a child here. And this is what they need to do too. So if there are any drag queens listening to the stream and they're probably fucking aren't obviously, but if you so happen to come upon this conversation and you are listening to it, let me just say that you are not doing yourselves a favor by not saying anything about this. And it's not like there aren't drag queens who aren't, there are, you know, I think there's a, a viral video that's still going around. Yeah. Kitty Jimmer. Yeah who, Demir, yeah, who, you know, very, very adamantly spoke up against including kids in, in this sort of thing. And then, you know, there's like Lady Maga, who's like a conservative drag queen, speaks out about this stuff too. But there needs to be more of you guys. So if you're listening, you're not doing yourselves any favors. If you attend an event and you see someone bringing kids to that event, say, I'm not performing un unless they leave. You have to do it. Otherwise, you're, you're fucking screwed and, and you're not going to be able to enjoy your drag culture for long because there's going to be pushback against it. And you will have people like us and there are other people like us. You will have people like us who will defend you. Yes. Uh, who, who will have your back. Yep. But the flip side of that coin is, and I can only speak for myself, if you do not do that and you instead encourage this, I'm your enemy and yep. I'm going to be on your ass. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a fight. And I'm not going to defend you. Um, I'm going to be going for you. Sweet. Oh. Well, let me let me add Miss Laura Becker uh -huh. to the stream. We got some hey. admin and energy up in here now. Hey, Laura. Welcome. Hey. 
guys. Laura's been on the show before. This She's is amazing. It's nice to have another woman in here. <laughs> <laughs> guys, this is Laura Becker. Laura's been on our show twice already. Um, Laura Hi, is Laura. a detransitioner. Oh, she's probably fucking tired of hearing that. I but, prefer funk god. So <laughs> funk god. Yeah. A lot of funk. But I guess this is a, a good place where we can kind of jump a little back into that stuff. And I wanna I wanna talk about the age thing here because you know I myself see a reasonable argument when people say, well hey 18 is the cutoff point for these surgeries, right? If you're 18 you can like elect to have other surgeries. So why shouldn't you elect to be able to transition, right? And I can see the reasonableness of that argument, but it is ignoring the fact that there are a lot of detransitioners among people who actually transitioned after they were 18. And Laura, you're an example of this. I believe you were 19, correct? I was 20. 20. Okay. Yeah. So again, a good example, you know, legal age, but still not totally developed, right? Mentally. Um, and yeah, still, I'd say so. <laughs> and there's a, there's a lot of people who are transitioning after 18 and still regretting it later. So, you know, how do we address that? Is it just, do we get rid of this in general? I mean, we people need, obviously, if they have dysphoria and stuff, we, they need a place to go. But I think Brent and I kind of have a position now where it's like there has to be a waiting period. Well, I think like we'll rule two years or something where you, you have treatment and care and you see a psychiatrist. And if like after two years or something, you still want to transition, then then do it. You know, I don't know. Um, well, I'm sort of under the impression that 25 is a pretty good um, determination of like a more reasonable like adult self, because um, I think it's pretty obvious that 18 year olds are not developed. Um, you know, they can't get you know, auto insurance are like extremely expensive. They can't rent in certain things. There's a lot of um, different legal um, things that they're not allowed to do. They can't drink. Yeah. You know? So at the very yeah. least, I'd say like 21, but I'm more of like in the evolutionary developmental psych sort of camp that's like 25 seems pretty good. Um, my brain just leveled the fuck up when I was 25, which was only six months ago. It started, started kicking off when I was 24, but like, it's just amazing how it just like, oh, I now have long-term planning. I can like really understand like long-term consequences of my actions, um, <laughs> which is when I was 20. I mean, I was probably developmentally like, God knows how young from the different, you know, um, you know, the PTSD and stuff. So I agree that there should be to be over 18, but I also think a waiting period, that's what used to happen in the original days of the old trannies they used to yeah. uh, have to do yeah. a real life experience you know yeah. watchful waiting was the approach well that yeah. was for children but she's talking about for how children, yeah. for adults they had it, it was like two years i believe yeah. was the so standard. time period yeah they were they you have were to live in your acquired gender as a lady yeah <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah which means you have to walk to work very breastfully. Very breastfully. <laughs> um, just real quick, we could say goodbye to Russell. He had to dip out. Oh, Russell. Bye, Russell. Later, Russell. Thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Russell. Yes, guys, go check out our last formal Dangerous Rhetoric episode with Russell. It was very good. If you want to learn more about his 
tragic family history and stuff. And we had a, an in-depth discussion about this subject of grooming that we were talking about today. So go check that out. But yeah. What have you guys uh, been uh, talking about? So, we, so we've mainly been talking about the issue of grooming and I guess how that relates to abuse in general, not just the trans issues, but also that. Um, yeah, we started yeah. with grooming. Uh, we defined it basically um, as preparing sort of the child for a bad experience um, that, you know, Man. the predator obviously seeks. And then uh, you're preparing the ground. And then we basically sort of showed how the current educational environment with the introduction of things like masturbation to kindergartners or gender ideology, neo-pronouns, picking your name, that kind of stuff to, to very young kids is sort of doing like half the work of the predator for them by blurring the boundaries between what is supposed to be acceptable and normal adult behavior where adults are not supposed to talk to children about sex or sexual topics or you know even introduce themselves as a sexual being to children, which is what a lot of this teachers coming out the kids thing is. Um, they're not supposed to do that. And so when they blur those lines, they are basically preparing a lot of those kids to be abused down the line by having those natural borders erased. And uh, it, it's, it's damaging and preparing them for, you know, these, it's basically setting them up to be picked up by a predator later on in life. Not that all of them will be, but it makes their job easier. So that's kind of, and then I went through just some a little examples of, some very inappropriate yeah, drag, drag shows with performances there and with children not appropriate stuff happening in front of kids eyes but yeah <laughs> Actually, I, have a, I have a question that i want sure. to throw out kind of to go back to um teachers and 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 things like this going on in school it's it does it not strike anybody else as completely bizarre that we have quote-unquote adults looking to children for affirmation yeah. is that not the weirdest thing yeah. to anybody it is weird our oh, friend matt just put a video narcissistic yeah. damage our basically like what the narcissistic parent will do to the children yeah. it's weird and we should yeah. call it weird and but i think a lot of it you know has to do with maybe these teachers are themselves like emotionally stunted at maybe? A age. And it's, <laughs> and I know, yeah, not maybe. Josh, Josh has pulled up quite a few examples of this on his show before. And, you know, when you just look at how some of them talk, they have this uh, particular affectation about them that is very childlike. Like, it's almost like they are big kids in charge of teaching kids. And they're, they're, they feel like, I think, maybe more like they're one of the kids than actually among the staff even so it's yeah just so, it's just so bizarre like i i don't i don't i don't i just don't understand it like what it what is the i mean i get it i mean i we've just talked about it but it's just so it's so gross it, i mean and and you see it i mean even at work like i mean we 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 deal with some i mean i'm sure we all do in our own respective jobs we deal with with weirdos where it's just like look buddy it's not my job to <laughs> affirm you <laughs> you know um i'm here to do a job and that's it <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just so weird the way the the way our society has has twisted in this way it's where, where we're all looking for like for affirmation from everybody even when we're not even in the room we want them to affirm us it's yeah. so bizarre <laughs> 
so narcissistic. It, I mean, I think there is at a very basic level, though, there is something human about it. Obviously, like people want to be seen, they want to feel like included or like they're a part of something. And and maybe these adults like did not have that at all when they were a kid, and now they're trying to find that among kids now as an adult because they didn't have that experience as kids. It's, it's not an excuse. It's, I'm not saying it's an excuse. I'm saying it. There's <laughs> no, a con- it's an explanation. Right. It's an explanation, and it's 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 just it's still wrong. They should not be teaching if they're feeling like they need to get that validation from such young people. It's like, no, you need to go see a psychiatrist and, and and maybe get a different job. And then once you figure your shit out and you don't feel the need to do that in a classroom, then you can go, go be a teacher. But my main question here is I'm a big picture guy. So I like to look at what is the motive behind no anything. And we see all this shit going on. We all think it's weird. We think it's insane. We all see it coming to fruition now with in mass. And I think my main question that I have, and I don't know if I have an answer to this or anybody has an answer to this, but well, like, why, why are they pushing this? Like, what, what is the big picture? Oh, God. Because we know there are powers that be who want to push this agenda. What, what is, what is the reason for that? You know. I, that that's what i can't wrap my head around like why are I think, they pushing this shit? i think among the highest echelon of power in our society it is full of these predator type people and i think I they and i think they would love to create a world in a society in which they are seen as more normal and maybe make it a little easier to get away with the stuff that they're getting getting away with Granted, I think the ones at the very, very, very top get away with it regardless because they have the money and resources and power and connections to just constantly sweep it under the rug and keep everyone shut, you know, silent, who they need to keep silent. Um, you know, look at the whole Epstein affair and all of that, and we didn't even get into child trafficking and that sort of thing, like kids who are just straight up going missing. Like, that's a whole other thing as well. There is some dark, dark evil shit at the core of our power structure right now in the west especially um i don't know what the fuck is going on but it's like it feels like there are demons at the helm <laughs> yeah i agree do you, do you want to jump in there laura yeah i say when, when i think about big picture stuff i usually jump right to like the existential void that everybody experiences so i'm i mean if we're thinking about like why besides like the personal, you know, backstories or trauma reasons or whatever, the narcissism or whatever it is of these individuals, I feel like everyone has an existential void that they try to fill with um, different sort of power, powers, energies, like a lot of it's a spiritual void, I feel like, especially the gender identity stuff. It's like a soul void. Um, So you can fill a lot of void in your life if you don't have enough meaningful relationships or activities or like things to get you out of the house and doing things you can fill that with the political um and the social power and like it's a real ego trip to like socially manipulate someone or emotionally manipulate someone especially in the name of you know like diversity equity and inclusion type stuff um yeah um I was just listening to um, James Lindsay's uh, podcast about, yeah, the new discourses podcast about um, how SEL, the social emotional learning, the original social emotional learning is now there's a bait and switch being done 
for social justice um, emotional learning. And it's really grim stuff. Um, I was just telling my mom, because she's actually a school counselor. I'm actually thinking about going into education. I don't know why, but I want to leave Maybe, maybe they need you, honestly. They probably need you, Laura. Mm -hmm. They need you, Laura. I know. I know they do. So, like, the thing is, like, like the original social emotional learning, like I'm totally on board with that. It's just like developmental psych, literally just forming relationships, healthy boundaries and things like that. Um, but the new stuff is very insidious because it, it's grooming. So, you know, James Lindsay was like, don't try to implement it. It will get warped by these particular individuals that like having the power, like the more subtle power trip of getting to manipulate someone to be like on edge or like keep on guard like you always have to keep on your toes because you never want to offend anyone and then if you do offend someone you get to be i mean if someone else offends someone or hypothetically would it be offensive then you get to step in and be the moral you know um, judge yeah and savior yeah. you get to be the white knight yeah Hey folks, I'm I'm sorry to do this. I'll do it really quickly. I got to duck out. I wish I could stay, but I've I've got some things I got to get. No, it's all good. Thank now. you for joining. Thank you for I having me. Thanks, I learned so much Thank from you just talking. You're yeah. an incredible person, and I will check out your podcast. You're oh, awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks. Hey, you, know, you know what I learned from Josh? I learned that he likes to talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like, that. I, I like a, I like a person who talks but when they know what they're talking about and this motherfucker knows what he's talking about so i really and have something that. to say so, george yeah, you can gossip about me after i'm gone bye everybody thank you bye, bye, bye. Bye. thank you Welcome. i have to go to everybody i, I okay. apologize with you no it's, it's okay. okay we it's appreciate about, it. it's yeah. about we're, we'll probably go for another 20 minutes We'll or go so. for a little bit longer, I think, and then we'll wrap right. it up. I wanted to get it was wonderful to meet everybody. Yeah, it was and let's do it again you. soon. Bye, George. Bye, George. Thanks, bye. Oh, uh, shit. Now I'm the only retard left here. Yes. Let's, no, I don't this know is... what I'm talking about. I do have to take a fat piss. Go take go that ahead, fat take a piss. Break. So I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to Laura a bit about, I guess, when you started to enter psychiatric care for what would be considered gender dysphoria and when you did enter you know did you did you get any pushback at all from anyone did anyone say hey well maybe you're not a boy maybe something else is going on here or did every single person just affirm you in that direction that hey this is what's going to solve your issue i really wish that i could say that I got any, but no, I got absolutely nothing. Um, it was very, it, and it was really frustrating to me because I was a person, I mean, I'm still a similar person to who what I am now, which is like a very like questioning things. I was not all on board with a lot of the queer stuff. I didn't like the trans community. I didn't believe like that I was really a man but I was just really confused and I was seeking answers. And I thought I had this condition of gender dysphoria and I thought that transition was the only solution. So I was seeking out therapy in order to like maybe find a, some other type of care. But any, I just kind of told my story very open, very earnest about all my issues, my past. 
and hoping that they would have some type of wisdom or something that they could tell me just kind of that, you know, voice, like seeking help, but they just kind of gave me blank, blank sort of like, you know, affirmational things like, well, you're valid in, you know, how you feel and your experience. And that sounds tough, what you're dealing with, like just really, really generic um, therapists. Unfortunately, I feel like they were really low quality therapists. And so I didn't end up seeing them. These were multiple different people um, that I saw for short periods of time because I could tell that they didn't really understand what was going on, even though they were like marketing themselves as like gender and LGBT trans, like specialty. But it was just another thing that they put on their resume, basically. They didn't really know. It was like a marketing strategy, really. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, I was seeking like some serious guidance and I just didn't receive that. So I kept like shopping around for different therapists, but none of them, just none of them were quality and none of them reached me in any sort of way where they're like, yeah, I feel like, you know, maybe you're having like, you know, you're very suicidal. Like maybe we should wait on this or like, you know, maybe this has something to do with the unrequited loves that you've had like back to back like for like three different gay men like you know um such helpful helpful therapists yeah Yeah. this is the one thing i think a lot of people don't realize it's like therapists and and medical doctors much like you know a plumber or an electrician or a general contractor they're they vary in quality they vary in experience. They vary in skill, and they vary in intention as well. And vary some, in some of them can also be exploitative and predators as well. And yes. they get into a position of, you know, psychiatric care because they they can exploit people some who are of them vulnerable. Go so. into the practice yeah. such solely for that for whole that thing. reason. Yeah, like we saw a couple of those uh, transgender surgeons on the Matt Walsh documentary. What is a woman who went into you know the field so that they could you know affirm, affirm, affirm. And there was that one, uh, that one the uh, lizard one. Yeah, the one lizard one. No, she was. Was it the lizard one or was it the other one that uh, had performed bottom surgery on a sixteen-year-old? I think. Boy, I think it was the trans. Was trans. Yeah. Yeah. Trans surgeon, I think. Yeah. But and it's. It, it, and but Brent, that's not happening. There aren't surgeries <laughs> being performed on on it's anyone not, anyone under eighteen. It's not happening, Brent. It's not happening. Right? It's not happening. Um, so Laura, do you remember the particular therapist who like approved you for, for surgeries and have you ever like confronted them afterward? Did you ever talk to them afterward and say, Hey, um, yeah, that, uh, that didn't work out what you told me to do. Yeah. So there was three individuals involved in the surgery happening besides myself. Um, there was the actual surgeon who, I'm actually publishing a letter that I mailed to my surgeon this past spring. I'm publishing it um, next week. So I'm going to be like kind of releasing that. Um, So that was him and he was a cosmetic surgeon who required two letters of like referral from mental health, you know, professionals who were seeing me in the original days, the old school transition methods, this was the standards of care laid out by WPATH um, that you would get, you know, these two letters from people who had seen you and had, could document that you were of sound mind to make this decision. Um, and that did, that was not, that didn't happen. Um, Cause first of all, I wasn't of sound mind. 
but then the two people who wrote me the letters, one was actually my psychiatrist. Um, I don't think I actually had a therapist at the time that I, or, or like a primary therapist. So it was actually a psychiatrist that I only saw a couple times a year, you know, to get like a med refill. And I have a lot of problems with like the psychiatry aspect that's different than the therapist, but she didn't really know me, you know, basically. Um, she didn't know me. She didn't really understand the issue. I just came to her and was like, I'm trans. I have like gender dysphoria. I'm looking to like transition and get these letters. And she was like, sure, like I'll look, I know some about trans, but I'll look more into it. And then like one session later, she was just like, yeah, I think you meet the criteria for gender dysphoria. So basically I like self-diagnosed and then she's just like, sure. So she wrote me a letter and said that I was um, of sound mind to make the decision, which was the opposite of the case because I was very suicidal. Um, and I actually went inpatient into a psychiatric hospital like a couple weeks later after getting this letter. And that's where I made the decision to like go full blast with getting the surgery. Um, so I got this letter. So I was very suicidal um, and it was like documentedly suicidal. Like this was in my records and stuff. Um, and she wrote one letter and then the other person was actually my general practitioner. So like someone who like didn't know me at all, not even for any mental health reasons, you know? I mean, I saw her like once a year and she, you know, I was kind of surprised that she even wrote the letter because it's like, what business does she have writing it? Absolutely none. But she thought she was just being nice and like doing me a favor. I think that's how a lot of them probably feel. They're just being nice, you know, and just say, hey, this is the protocol, you know, but mm -hmm. I, I don't even think they're conceiving of the damage that could result from writing those letters. Right. Especially back then, this was five years ago. So back yeah. then there was almost no dissent at all, you know, um, so unfortunately my psychiatrist actually died not long after she had cancer apparently which i'm certain that probably was affecting her like quality of care she was giving to patients and she didn't disclose that so who knows but i could not confront her unfortunately and then my surgeon i did confront i wrote him a letter um, kind of notifying him that I detransitioned. I cited um, Lisa Littman's like a uh, really great study on detransitioners. And I included like the rates, uh, you know, like 60% of detransitioners in that study stated that they transitioned due to trauma or mental health related reasons. So I tried to tell him like, not only did I regret this and feel that I didn't receive proper care, but also in the FTM population of which you like make all your business, this is extremely prevalent. So you're operating on people who are not of sound mind. Um, and the letters that I received weren't following the standards of care. So therefore you are not following the standards of care. Um, and um, so I didn't hear anything from that and I'm not sure what he's up to. Maybe I'll check. Hmm. He performed surgeries on 16 year old girls. So, but Laura, that's not happening. It's not happening. Right, it's not happening. not happening. But actually, if it is happening, it's for the best uh, so that they won't kill themselves. Yeah, it's, you have such a disingenuous argument. 
every time on Twitter, there's always someone when I post about this stuff who says it's not happening. There's always someone who pops up out of the woodwork. Oh, that's not happening. There's no one under 18 getting surgeries and stuff. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. Denial, man. Straight up denial from the Yeah, just, just lies. Yeah, that so- sucks, man. I can't believe that happened to you and no one freaking said shit. Everyone was just like, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, like, you know, every my kind of friends and family were just kind of like, I mean, they never really knew what to do with me because I was like somewhat autistic, but not exactly. Like, I was just weird, you know, I was just a weird kid, very severely depressed from like age 11. So by the time I was 20, they were just like, I don't know, she's pretty fucked up. Like, I guess this is normal now. So we'll support you in the transition. And then when I detransitioned, I was just kind of like, oh, I guess she's still weird or she's doing her own thing or, okay, right. I guess that was wrong. You know, they just didn't really know anything, you know, my parents. Yeah. And I think that's how it is for a lot of parents. They get sort of caught up in the ideology. They get caught up, you know, speaking with professionals who were captured ideologically and they never really come across a contradictory or contrary opinion or position. Uh, and, and that's why it's so important that people speak out and speak up. And I think, you know, that moving into a solutions phase of the conversation, while conversations like this are important, and I do think they sort of help contribute towards the overall sort of reversing the trend of, you know, using gay rights and gay culture as sort of a grooming weapon on children. Uh, we have, like, I, I do like to come up with other little, like, what else can we do? Like, how else can we fight this? Like, what are the, the sort of ideological or spiritual or meme, meme based weapons that we can deploy? So in response, my first answer is art. That is my answer. That is my first. Okay. Well, can you be more specific, sir? Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like from the right or the conservative side, a lot of them tend to shit on art. They don't view it as a valuable thing. And it's why their propaganda is worse. And it sucks. It's why the left has just more sophisticated, you know, fancy, beautiful looking propaganda all the time. And it's because they know the power of images and words and, and music and all that shit. Things better so, graphic designers. Yeah, I can so, agree more. Can I, agree, I cannot agree more. We need to tap more into making honest propaganda that is not hiding the fact that it is propaganda and it is propaganda that is exposing propaganda. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And we can do it through art. And that's just one way. You know, obviously this podcast is another way. Um, We can do like, um, you know, like on the street type things like like you wanted to so you're talking attend- performance art we i'm not talking performance art i'm a painter i don't do performances <laughs> but i mean we can do other things like you mentioned attending drag shows and events like that and trying to culture jam you know create some kind of uh, controversy scene, controversy maybe call out what some are you saying to do at the drag shows well that's what what, what what do we do do we call them out do we just know. silently record and observe know. do we shame the queens and me, venue owners me and, me and ricky are going to be back there just like <clears throat> I mean, what? So that's that's actually literally what I've been doing for the past several weeks. So nice. there's this gay bar near me, and for like the past month, I've been going once every weekend, and just like talking to these people, because a, trying to meet meet nice men, um, but also I just like I I don't I don't ideologically understand them, and so I've been going there and 
just talking to them. When people are drunk, they'll have honest conversations with you. They usually won't try to kill you. Usually. Um, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I've just been like having conversations, not necessarily regarding this, but just in, in the precipice of uh, the ideals of liberty. And I've been trying to, to, to figure out how we can sell those ideals to people. Um, especially on the other side, and it's it, it's it's really interesting hearing their perspective of why they support things and where they come from. And I I genuinely think a lot of people on the lower level, not on the upper level, the upper levels know what they're doing, especially in the positions of uh, politicians. Mm-hmm. Those on the lower level, genuinely, they want to do what they perceive to be as good. Yeah, they mean well. Um, they, they want to be good people. They they do truly mean well. Like a lot of these people, they're. I don't understand them like personally, but they're good people. And no, I think I think you're you right know, there. You no, you're right, Ricky. Because this is kind of what Daryl Davis does. You know, he has conversations with you know Ku Klux Klan members, and just by having normal conversations with them, he sort of shows he deprograms yeah, them Scott, and I, I, through that that method. So I, I think, think that over, is one valid way of of doing the deprogramming work. I think over two hundred of them he's gotten to hand their robes in yeah which is crazy when you think about it that's a lot of people to convince to change the way you look at things but his story is a great example of like just through talking and communication people can change like our our views can very much shift over time and i'm not saying like the core things about our personality like i think those things very much are kind of fixed so greg uh greg has a comment here he says we need to be able to clearly show that it's causing harm for kids to expose to drag shows yeah. first otherwise it's just an opinion yeah i think they so don't how realize can we do that yeah. how, how do you think we can do that or how do you think we can explain that? first it takes listening and that's that's hard for me because i'm a spitfire and i just want to fight <laughs> but you, what i've learned is you just have to sit and you listen to their perspective and you don't the way that you don't fight them is you don't just like counteract them you ask them questions and you force them to now logically speak into existence their train of thinking yeah is that well, their, their train of thought does that make sense yeah well that that was what i thought was the most brilliant thing about matt walsh's documentary what is a woman and that he named it that the question because really it's what it comes down to is you got to post questions to them and just let them speak. And then when they speak, they kind of reveal the logical fallacies. And then I think sometimes when they're actually just talking out loud, it might click for some of them like, wait, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. Or this, these two ideas don't really fit together. I'm holding these two contradictory ideas at the same time. Well, and this is also the insidious nature of grooming, right? So grooming is that you, you, you engage in a progressive process where the initial steps are innocuous or banal enough that they can seem normal, they can seem arguable, they can seem justifiable. Um, when it comes to the case of drag shows and children, you know, th- really, it's it's been reversed. You know, we the, the people that are suggesting that drag shows are appropriate for children should have to make that argument and explain why. Yeah. It's as if there's the burden has now been placed on people that are critical to be like, oh, you know, you have to show harm. It's like, no, 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 huh. no, no. 
Show benefit. Right. There's <laughs> another situation that that sounds kind of familiar to. Uh, similar situation, maybe? Yeah, similar to like these policies that happened over the last couple Medical of years. Medical policies, maybe? Where they just shut everything down and forced everyone to wear a thing on their face. And, oh, we don't have to prove any of this shit works. You have to prove that it works. And we're you just have to gonna, prove it's a harm. We're going to just do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We're, we're in the... It, it, it's really fascinating studying the ideology of a cult and how a cult operates and then comparing it to how our government acted over the past two and a half years, almost three years. And it, it's, it's, it's the same game plan. They operate exactly the same way. It's, and it's, it's Let's get a little tinfoil hat right now. And so one of the things Brent and I are pretty convinced of is that these policies, the virus, the jabby jabs and all that, the whole point of all of it and the way it went down was to um, slow the population growth, we'll say. Not reduce it a bit, sure. One of but, many goals. But at least to slow it, right? And we know that there are people at the helm, like <laughs> Bill Gates, who think there's too many people here, right? What if that is also part of the reason that the powers that be want to push the trans stuff, you know, make as many young people as we can infertile. Well, it's not just and, the trans yes, stuff, it's the queerification yes, of... in general, yeah. And breaking down the family unit and all that to, stuff. To combat heteronormativity. Yes. Because the more, the more gay kids, the more trans kids, the more queer kids, the less... Kids, less kids. families, less kids, less people on the planet. And I don't know, just, um, I'm just saying. Seems like a very anti-human. They, just, they uh, hate life. They hate the prospect. Well, that's what I was. Like, so, in terms just, of like solutions, this goes to what I'm sort of thinking. Like, this again is a spiritual crisis, right? Of like nihilism. So, if you're saying like life, you're anti-life, you're anti-family, marriage, a lot of the like pop culture feminist bullshit today is is very much like that in the queer theory. It's very nihilistic, the postmodernism. So I think the solution, the, at least the personal solution I've found in what seems to make sense is sort of the post-postmodernist uh, approach of trying to regain some of that higher meaning, deeper yeah. values. Um, that's the word that's I would say. Family, marriage, um, you know, children and a safe, healthy development for them that includes boundaries and freedoms. So if we could attempt to cultivate conversations around that um, and kind of that's what I try to encourage people. I try to cut through the political stuff in an argument with them, um, even though I could probably argue pretty well with them, but I try to cut through and just get right to the existential meaning crisis because it's like they could all relate to that everyone's depressed and anxious they can all relate to the jadedness and the, the emptiness so if you can't finding your own like deeper values and sort of life itself you know it doesn't have to be religious or like traditional traditionalism religion and conservative yeah. it's values. a sense of connection a sense of connection you know like yeah just having that sense of say connection with nature going into the freaking forest and something like that mm -hmm. can be a very spiritual healing type of process people need to see, they just need to touch grass more motherfuckers need to go touch grass i think that's yeah. what's wrong via lynn brought up an interesting point too about the fat acceptance or body positivity movement also leading into the population yeah. reduction Mm -hmm. That's an interesting thing. point too. We might have to bring stars on on and talk about it's, that one. It just seems that that it, it just strikes me how all of these different 
little ideologies and agendas. You start to look at, you know, where they're all pointing yeah. and they're all sort of pointing in the same sort of Big weird picture. So yeah. I, I describe what happened over the last couple of years now as like a crypto genocide. This is the word that I use now. Because think about it this way. And I was talking to a friend about this the other night. But if you were like an evil, maniacal, eugenicist, psychopathic bastard who just wants to control everything and like thinks there's too many people in the world and we're gross and just hates people and you want to reduce people and just get rid of the undesirables. But you understand historically contextually things like say the holocaust and stuff like that that has already happened right and you understand well damn i can't just like outright round them up anymore and put them in ovens and camps and stuff like i got to do this more subtly or i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get arrested or start a world war and end up on nuremberg trials whatever so you find out other ways more subtle ways maybe you concoct something in a laboratory and let it out you know maybe you make some injections and you know it's, Careful. i'm just saying and and who knows maybe that stuff if it doesn't knock them off maybe it at least makes it less likely that they'll be able to have kids or something like that and then you know if these side effects start popping up just blame the virus and genius, right? And then there's yeah. the lockdown policies or, or, and all that. you know, like, global warming or climate yeah, or change. Global warming and all uh, that. They blame the, the, the rise in heart attacks has been blamed on yeah. basically everything so you can imagine. It's like, you know, the virus, the lockdowns, the traps. I don't know. It looks to me, and then you want to throw the trans stuff in there, and then I guess the Bopo stuff as well. It's like, this just feels like a giant, like, like crypto genocide like they're trying to push as many people to like self-delete as possible um, yeah and then going back to the james Lindsay new discourses thing you know um he was saying like you know because we've had this you know these lockdowns there's been so many developmental problems for the kids you know and now they're saying like oh we need social emotional learning yeah and so they're cryptically like getting it in being like we need yeah. this more than ever but it's the the most, yeah, problem, problem reaction solution. Yes, problem reaction solution. Like you create a problem, and now we need a new way of educating and getting close to your kid to fix yeah. all the the fucking up that we just did to your kid by closing right. everything down and like changing society overnight. All right, well, let's yeah. wrap it up here. Yeah. Um, we wanted to thank all of our people for joining us. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to Josh yeah. and George and Russell. and Russell for making the time. Um, and to everyone in the chat who came to hang out. Yes, uh, thank you to the chat for coming. Yeah. Everybody, Seb, Violin, Peter, Greg. I've seen all of you guys just hanging out the entire time. Shout out, shout out. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll have to do more live Here's streams. A... Future? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. I'm just... Uh, I was just going to say, it was, it was a it was a great show. I mean, like, I, I, I'm, I apologize. I was so quiet, but you had such fantastic guests on. Like, every single person who came up beside myself. Like, y'all had some fantastic insight into what's going on. And it's that's where I almost felt like it was my position to just listen and also ask questions. And, um, you know, well, we're glad you. Notes, which I was. 
I saw, you, <laughs> I saw you taking notes. But we're glad you joined us, and we think you also have a lot of valuable perspectives to contribute to the conversation. That's why we invited you. But guys, if this is your first time here, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, like the video, share the yeah. show with your friends. If you share the show with just one friend, it really helps the channel grow. Don't and, be a bitch. Share and, it. And we'll, uh, we'll stop the recording here. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. See ya.